Yes, hello out there, everyone, and welcome back to None But the Brave, a presentation of Evergreen Podcast. I am Hal Schwartz, and as always, I'm here with my great buddy, Flynn McLean. Tonight, we have the next edition of our None But the Brave archive series reviews. This month, it's a show from Akron, Ohio, on the Tom Joad Tour, recorded September 25th, 1996. But before we get to the archive, as I'm sure all of our listeners know, Bruce's mom, Adele, unfortunately passed away last Wednesday, and He's spoken so eloquently about her impact on his life and his art, most notably in the Broadway show. It's really not an exaggeration to say that she helped make all of our lives better. No, it's not. She was Bruce's first fan going all the way back to to when he was a teenager and she kept all the scrapbooks, maintained all those scrapbooks and collected uh, everything she could about her son and wrote letters to... Uh, to people who wrote positive reviews about his uh, his albums and and concerts and and yeah she was just his biggest supporter and as we all know he had trouble with his father and there's that great line in the wish where uh talks about if Paz were a window into a world so deadly and true she couldn't stop him from looking but she kept him from crawling through and that's what she did she was kind of the peacekeeper between dad and Bruce and she played such an important role as you said and uh Things would have been different if she if he hadn't had her support. That is definitely for sure. And we also just wanted to add because Adele did interact with many fans at shows over the years, including the two of us. And she was always so incredibly gracious. And there was such a joy to see her during a show. And you would look over and she'd be sitting there. And the pride on her face while she was watching Bruce was just really something to see. So we send our condolences out to Bruce and his entire family. Absolutely. And what was interesting is that just two days after his mom passed away, Bruce did perform in Los Angeles as part of the Music Cares show honoring John Bon Jovi. And and he did two songs with John Bon. He did Promised Land, which was different because they usually only do songs by the person being honored. But then they also did... Uh, you can't go home again, or what's the name of that song? How? Who says you can't go home? There you go. They did that one as well, and uh, looks like they were having fun. And Bruce got to sit with uh, John Bon Jovi and Paul McCartney for the for most of the of the night. Yeah, and in Bon Jovi's acceptance speech for the evening, he took time out to talk about how touched he was that Bruce was there in light of his mother's death, and that Bruce really wanted to support him and the cause. So you can tell that they have a special bond. It's, it seems to be bigger than I think anyone even <laughs> knew, actually. Yeah, it looked that way. I think there were some there were some times back in the 90s and the early aughts where it didn't seem to be a very strong one, but it seems like it looks now like like it's 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 quite strong. And uh, let's hope I kind of I would be interested in seeing what they could do together maybe in, in the future. Well, maybe. Uh, I don't know about that. But I do want to say uh, Bon Jovi has done incredible work with his soul kitchens. And he was a very worthy honoree. The Music Cares organization does phenomenal work for musicians in need. And Bon Jovi is, whatever you think of the songs, he has had a tremendous impact on his community. And he is truly to be commended for that. Oh, you're you're absolutely right. But but let's move on to to tonight's main discussion point, which is the archive release from September 25th, 1996 from Akron, Ohio, part of the Ghost of Tom Joe tour. And this was one that that I attended and it was really one of my favorite shows from 
from that leg, from that from that fall with right after the first night in Asbury and the Ryman show a few months later. This was such a, a great show to me. He came out and and he did a song that I had never heard before. And when that happens, and it's not very often, it's quite a it's quite a moment. And it was such an intense reading of of Woody Guthrie's song called Tom Jode. And it basically retold the the entire plot of the of the Grapes of Wrath film based on the Grapes of Wrath novel by John Steinbeck. And I think a lot of us recognize the the story and basically came right out of the across the border intro that Bruce was telling on that tour. And but it was such a it was such a new song and it was very powerful and as I said, it was it was quite a moment. It really is a powerful song, and and you could tell by his delivery that he really inhabited this song. It, it made me think of our discussion about Nebraska from a few episodes back, and I saw Guthrie's Jode open a show in Fresno, and I felt the same way. It's just incredibly ballsy because it's so long, and it really does recount in tremendous detail, the events of the book and the movie. And the audience went with it. I I think at least the night I saw it, people were confused. I I don't think they understood what was happening, but the conviction in which he did it was the key and won everyone over. Oh, absolutely. I I would imagine that hardly anyone in, in that Akron auditorium knew what song it was, but it was such a, as you said, it, he was so intense about doing it. And we did recognize the, as I said, the, like the plot details of, of the song of the story being told in the song that it really wasn't that quite of a, of a departure in, in that way. But as you said, he was just so intense on it and he was uh, apparently preparing for the Woody Guthrie honor, honorary show at Severance Hall in, in Cleveland just a few nights later where he did this song as well as a couple of others riding in my car and playing wreck at Los Gatos Deportee that were released on uh, on, some, on some album that came out from that show. So he was warming up for that, but it just didn't feel like a warm-up. He came out uh, full throttle. I thought the interesting thing about it was how it replaced his own song, The Ghost of Tom Jode, and it played a very similar role now, there's no question this is a much more in-depth telling of the Jode story, but to set up the evening, I think it's funny because they played similar roles, but yet the delivery of it, I think, altered the feel. Yeah, I feel like Bruce's Tom Jode was more, now I'm trying to think of the of the word, uh, lonesome, more, more, was slower, more cont- contemplative. It, it was more haunting. Whereas this one came out and it was pretty much like full throttle. I mean, he was singing it at a pretty at a pretty good good clip, and it was just it was more in your face than say than Bruce's own Ghost of Tom Joe. Definitely, and and from there, the show proceeded. This one is pretty standard Joe, at least for that leg. And we should say because one of the narratives has been fueled in part by Bruce himself, really that Bruce Springsteen was lost in the 90s. And I think what this show does and many of the other shows, if we hear them from the fall of 96 uh, and the rest of the tour, really, it shows an artist who was completely locked in artistically and really was at the top of his game. Now, he wasn't delivering rock and roll to 20,000 people a night like Bruce Springsteen does when he's 
Bruce, but <laughs> you cannot listen to this and not be affected by it. I, I just, even the doubters, I think listening to this 25 years later, there's just, a, again, the way he delivers not only the opening song, but every song, it just, it's very, very powerful. Don't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I thought that whole tour was that way where he had, as you, as you said, he acknowledged that he was a little bit lost at that point. But once he, once he found this, once he found the Tom Jode album and tour, he was locked in. And, and Eric touched upon this in his essay where in most tours after say a few months, a few legs, whatever, he starts loosening things up and, and songs come and come and go. And then these songs come in that were not really part of his opening narrative back in at the start of the tour, but he kept it. He kept it throughout the Joe tour. And, and some would say it got better. You're exactly right. And Akron is a perfect example of that in the way the set unfolds. Hey, this is Scott from Fly on the Call. Each week I speak to a different musician, whether they're in an established band like Silverstein or The Wonder Years, or a band on the rise like Spanish Love Songs, Origami Angel, or Meet Me at the Altar. We discuss music and lyrics, the successes and challenges of being in a band, and more, as we get to the core of each artist. The show features musicians of diverse genres and backgrounds, so there's always a chance I'll be talking to your new favorite band. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. So as the show goes on, the, you have a lot of darkness in here, obviously. Uh, darkness on the Edge of Town, Murder Incorporated. And then this beautiful version of, of Nebraska with, with an intro that I don't remember hearing at a lot of shows. Did, did, did that ring a bell for you, Hal? I actually was thinking hard because I was like, this is unusual. I don't recall hearing that either. Okay. And what's interesting is that it, it sounded a little bit to me like that song that appeared on was it some kind of odds and sods uh, release on, on the Jungle Land Torrent site uh, from the Greatest Hit Sessions, where it was just, uh, he wasn't even uh, singing much, singing many lyrics. It was more of the, it's not really humming, it's not really... A melody? Uh, a melody, right. He's just kind of doing a melody. Not necessarily perfect, but very similar. But then he did loosen things up. He talked about uh, his newfound maturity and calling someone that he was meeting for dinner when he was late as an intro to the little things that count. And then you got to redheaded woman and how I make my debut on a Bruce Springsteen nugs release. At, I during the don't intro understand of that why song. you're not credited in all honesty. <laughs> I, I, I should, there be, should be some totally kind credited. of complaint or something. Oh, exactly. I mean, not only can you hear me, but Bruce acknowledges me. And that, that was pretty damn cool. And Well, are you going to say where it is? Yes, of course. Uh, Bruce is introducing Redheaded Woman. And he said, this is a song about a great subject, cunnilingus. And you hear this idiot in the, in the crowd go, yeah. And, and that was me. And Bruce goes, thank you. Thank you very much. And, and yeah, that was, that was a pretty cool moment. And what's funny, looking back on it, is that I knew the night before he had done, or a couple nights earlier, he had done Redheaded Woman talking about cunnilingus and i'm like okay i really want to hear it and so i was more excited about the fact that i was going to hear redheaded woman than just about the a generic conversation about oral sex 
All right. Well, I'm not sure if that should have been admitted in public, but what it is now done and it the is world there. will hear this episode soon enough. Now, there was a there was a great audience recording of this show uh, done by a guy named Tapeworm, and it later became the source for the Tom Joad Blues bootlegs, CD bootleg on the E Street Records label. And when I made my little cassette uh, labels, I always put in little Flynn Says Yeah. Uh, kind of right before Redheaded Woman. So I kind of make sure everybody knew. Okay. Well, people will check that out, I'm sure. <laughs> yes. The rest of the show is really impressive. And again, he was locked in on these nights in a way that I, I think was rare for a rock star. Now, it was a totally different type of tour. And the fact that he remarks at the end, he thanks the audience and says the fact that you give me the room to do this is such a wonderful thing. And it really is amazing thinking about it almost 30 years later that he did this. Look at the set list in this show. Obviously, you have all the material off of Jode. You have Guthrie's Jode, which we've discussed. You've got unreleased songs. It's the little things that count. Redheaded Woman. Then you also have Shut Out the Light, which I'm guessing most of the audience had not heard. But That's those of us- well- Hold on, but those of us who had were on cloud nine when he was yes. doing it. That was an absolute highlight of of the whole show. Uh, it's that one, and it's Tom Joad, and it's me yelling, yeah. Those are the three highlights for me by far in, in this show, and it was such a powerful version of it, Shut Out the Light. No, it didn't have the uh, the violin like the one at an Asbury, but solo, it was really, it really hit hard. It hit hard every time it was played, and I actually... <laughs> requested shut out the light in San Jose at a show that was uh, uh, for the Steinbeck Center. And I passed Landau a note and to his credit, and I thank him for that. He actually took it back to Bruce and Bruce played the song. But getting back to the performance here, it's just unbelievable that audiences went with this. Could you imagine if he tried this today? In 2005, he did Devils in Dust. Um, now, of course, it was the big much different. First off, between these two tours, is that in 1995, he was doing these smaller theaters, these beautiful theaters like the Beacon and, and the Orpheum in uh, in Boston, Constitution Hall in D.C., and then these college auditoriums like this one in Akron. He did the same thing in in Ann Arbor at the University of Michigan, Kalamazoo, just a whole bunch of them. And yeah, it, it, that was different. And because they were smaller and they weren't, they didn't use those curtains to to make things look smaller. They were smaller. People were able to be be drawn in more than more than they were in two thousand five. I hate to be a grump. I don't think it could work today. Even two thousand and five was different. If he played a show like this today. There'd be people all over the audience on their cell phones. Now oh, they would yeah. probably take steps to minimize that, and perhaps he would use Yonder, which other artists are using. But I think that the audience's ability to be this attentive, especially to such challenging material, unfortunately for all artists, is not really at the level that it was when we were younger. And <laughs> as we know, people are just much more distracted these days, including certainly me. So, but really what he did here is it, it's, it's remarkable. And I hope they release more of these shows. Now you brought up devils and dust. It's actually been the longest period 
that they haven't released a show from Devils and Dust from any of the tours, excepting the ones they don't really release, which would be anything pre-75, 92, 93. And even the Seeger Sessions has been released, I believe, more recently than Devils and Dust. So I do think they should get some more Devils and Dust shows out there. And we don't know exactly what they have from the Joe tour, but if they have, there's the show in Fresno I mentioned. The the thing about the show in Fresno, much like this show, which taps into, of course, Ohio and, and everything that had been expressed in Youngstown, there were certain shows on the Joe tour that took place in the locations where the songs were about. And those shows were almost always particularly powerful. Definitely. Definitely. This was uh, Akron is only 50 miles away from Youngstown. And he played, as, as you mentioned, he played a ton of shows in the great state of Ohio on that tour. Columbus, Cincinnati, Akron, Cleveland, uh, Youngstown in and of itself. And and yeah, it, they hit harder in, in, in those situations. Yeah. The one thing that's missing from this show, which you mentioned, he played a couple of nights later and he also played in Fresno was Guthrie's. Plane wreck at Los Gatos, which was absolutely gorgeous. And I don't know if they have that, but if they do, that would be a good one to get out from whichever show they have it at. It's really beautiful. Oh, it totally is. But as I said earlier, there's that the version from the oh, it's on that charity album, right? Till yeah, I just looked it up. Till we outnumber them. Uh, He did riding in my car and plane wreck at Los Gatos were from Bruce's set were were both included. So, and they were huge highlights. I love, uh, they're just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, as you, as you said. Of course, the songs always feel a little different in the context of the full show than in something like a compilation album for a charity. But, but I'll have to check that out. I haven't heard that in a while. But at least it was from one show. They just, they yeah. took, it's a, you know, selections from that show. I guess it would be comparable to the 2009 Hall of Fame release that, that Bruce and the band were, were part of. And the other thing I wanted to say before we wrap up about this show, uh, in the encores, Galveston Bay, and I think we may have talked about this before when we did other Joe shows, the story and the performance of Galveston Bay every night was just really gorgeous. And again, that's just one of those songs, probably a hundred years from now, uh, nobody's ever going to know about Galveston Bay. And it just really goes to show the depth of his catalog and the power in which he's able to deliver this material, even though that will certainly never be considered a greatest hit. Uh, no, it wouldn't. And it, but it played such a a very specific role in this in this show and in, in introducing the song in Akron. He talked about how the the across the border song was more about a dream, uh, about a dream to keep going, and whereas Galveston Bay is something more a very specific action or, or non-action. And at other shows, he, he talked about uh, if you can, sh- you can't, maybe you can't change the world, but you can change just a part of it that you touch. And that really has stuck with me over the years. And, and that's what Galveston Bay does. And the one thing is that it all remains so relevant to everything that he talked about in these shows. Yep. Sadly, I would say remains extremely relevant in 2024. So great pick this month. Uh, The Joe shows are very powerful. I know there's some people out there who will say, oh, we'd rather have an E Street Band show, certainly from the classic era. And I'm sure in the future, there will be more of those. But for this month, this is what they decided to release. And for my money, it's an excellent choice. 
Oh, absolutely. It's, as I said, one of my favorite shows from that whole from that whole tour and the bootleg recording, while being really good, still still isn't quite a, an official release. So very glad to have this one. So I'll wrap things up. We just want to tell people the next episode will be out probably in the next five or six days. We're going to be taking a look at the High Hopes Tour on the 10th anniversary of that one. And we'll have two parts. Part one will be South Africa, which was really an amazing thing also for Bruce to do. He had never been there before. He's never been there since. And also Australia. Part two, we'll look at the United States. And for part one, we're going to have a couple of guests who were in those specific locations. Yes. And uh, that was quite the tour. We're going to have a, we have a lot to say about it. And yeah, that was a fun one. A little, little bit different than, uh, than what we have going on now. Yeah. Wild, wild setless. So <laughs> with that, I'll say none but the brave is a presentation of evergreen podcasts produced by bull market entertainment on Twitter. Of course, you can find us at MBTB podcast and on Patreon, you can find all our bonus material that we do throughout the month, patreon.com slash NBTB podcast. So for Hal Schwartz, I'm Flynn McLean saying thanks for listening. We'll see you further on up the road. We'll be seeing you. Hey, this is Chris Swinney, formerly of the Ataris and currently host of That One Time on Tour, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Have you ever wondered what it's really like on the road? The highs can be euphoric, but the lows can be crushing. Join me every week as I chat with industry pros about what it's like living out their wildest dream and, in some cases, their worst nightmare. Past guests of the show include members of NoFX, Pennywise, Bad Religion, and more. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com.